the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. One five six nine. Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long Your life will pass by as a vapor And you will stand before the judgment seat of God And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings, you know the one you never knew. While you have breath, you have a choice to make in life. Turn away from your sin and believe. On the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment That's to come He is the shelter From the coming storm shakes at the mention of his name he has power over life and death every knee will bow and tongue confess heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father will you bow will you to his majesty he can save you from the might of all your sin this is the fight in which he stands Amen. in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ 
you can find peace in him from the judgment that's to come From the coming storm While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ can find peace in him from the judgment that's to come he is a shelter from the coming storm He's the only shelter from the coming storm. The scriptures tell us that the serpent, the dragon, was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field. That dragon today is as cunning as he was then and perhaps much more cunning because he's had these years of practice with human beings. He knows the weak spots. He knows the points of vulnerability. He used all of those points of vulnerability with Jesus in the desert and utterly failed because he could find no place to get a hold of Jesus He was without sin. But this story found in Genesis, the third chapter, I keep going back to periodically, and the reason I do is that I identify with Adam and Eve. I am their offspring. So are you. And all of us have hustled in our lives because we have lost our home, We've lost our supply of food. We now work to earn our bread by the sweat of our brow until we come to Jesus. And then we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these other things are added to us. And there's much more. We'll speak about that later. But still, there's a very real consciousness in my heart that I've lost a great deal in this battle with the devil. In the third chapter, we find the encounter has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden. Oh, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, or you will die. 
Now this cunning dragon counters Jesus. We're going to look later in the book of 1 John where it says, test the spirits. The scriptures don't tell us in 1 John to test the prophets. No, test the spirit that comes forth from the prophet. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That is, you will be able to determine for yourself what is right and what is wrong. That was very attractive to her, as well as she saw that the the tree, the fruit, was somehow magically enhanced to her eyes. And she reached out and she took it. And she ate. Her husband was with her. He did not stop her. He knew the penalty was death. He took it and ate it too. And suddenly, things begin to happen that bring great sorrow and tragedy into their lives. All of us as human beings have lived with a great deal of pain and anguish in our hearts. I know of people who have now gained old age. They never grew up. They were always party animals. They were always there with a a quick laugh and a quip drinking, drugging, never grew up. And now they face the reality that they will die. They don't want to turn to the Lord God of heaven. They're too bitter. They're too hurt. They're too angry. They're too filled with jealousy and rage. They can't believe their situation. But they have chosen, and those choices have led them to a place where their heart condemns them, and they don't know how to get out of that condemnation. And if you offer them a way out, they'll say, no, it's too hard to work. I can't do it. One man laying in his bed in the hospital with his family surrounding him saying to me, Pastor, don't talk to me about Jesus. I don't believe in him. I'm going to die. Yes, you're going to die. A few hours later, he was gone. Gone into an eternity without Jesus Christ and with no comfort of heart, with his heart condemning him. Well, what did Adam and Eve lose? They immediately 
recognized that they had lost the presence of the Holy Spirit and that they were naked and they were ashamed. So one of the first things that happened as they listened to this dragon is they became ashamed of what they had done, of what they had become, of what they were. They had lost their innocence. Then they lost the presence of God. As he came walking in the cool of the day, as he normally did to fellowship and to court them, they heard him coming. I wonder what God sounds like when he walks. They hid behind the trees. They were ashamed. Then they lost more than that. They lost the ability to give birth without pain. Birth would now be very painful for a woman. They lost the ability to have the normal food supply from the garden. Instead, they were to go out and till the ground and earn it by the sweat of their brow with thorns and thistles growing out of the ground. They lost their home. They lost paradise. They were kicked out of paradise. Now, perhaps you have in your life been able to smooth over this loss so that it doesn't seem so traumatic to you. But it is traumatic. And every human person bears the wound of having been kicked out of paradise. Every one of us bears the wound of the shame of being naked. And Satan has given to us the gift of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life with which we can try to cover ourselves and and make ourselves into something important, something satisfying. I have watched a vlog of a couple who went into the rainforest of Canada, built a yurt, built a beautiful garden, But as you watch this couple, some things begin to show up. You'll see the idols that they worship. You'll see in the midst of this beautiful, rugged rainforest, you'll see him put his wife on display in very suggestive poses to attract the lust of the eyes, knowing that people will tune in and watch. I've stopped watching 
because I don't like to see a husband display his wife's sexuality in such a way that shame is brought upon them. But this is, this is normal, the new normal. As the human race suffers in the condemnation of their hearts, having been kicked out of paradise, having been sent forth into the world, how am I going to get ahead? How am I going to survive? What do I have to do? And many of you are going to be asking that question in the coming days and months because of the tremendous number of people who are going to lose their jobs. And you're going to have to say, how do we survive? How do we make it? How do we feed the children? And there will be a lot of fighting and squabbling and anger and divorce. A lot of sadness and tears. A lot of home violence. As the human heart tries to deal with being kicked out of paradise. So what is it that brings pain to the human heart? Obviously, it's loss and trying to make up for that loss and sometimes being a little bit successful, but then other times finding it didn't work. And then came Jesus. And Jesus offered a way of salvation, a way of dealing with the pain of our hearts, to deal with the condemnation of our hearts. I want to say this to you very kindly. Many of us have struggled in our lives with never quite being good enough. I know I have never quite being successful enough. Now, you can count success by the money you make and the lifestyle that you can live, but I've been with very wealthy people on enough occasions to know that even the very wealthy who have their own jet airplane, who have homes in different parts of the country and the world, there's still condemnation in their heart. And they covered over with their lifestyle, with their friends, with their work, with their alcohol, with their drugs. But the same condemnation is in their heart as in the ghetto of the poorest of the poor. The recriminations, the sorrows, the bitterness... Chapter 3, we spoke yesterday about lawlessness. It was lawlessness that brought the pain to Adam and Eve. 
It was going directly against the word of God and saying, we will go out in the world and we will create for ourselves the world we desire because we have life resident in our own bodies and we will create our reality. And with that came the pain and anguish that is always accompanying that person who says, I can make it on my own. Well, welcome today to Pilgrim's Progress. This is going to be a careful look at the last part of chapter 3 in First John. I want you to hear clearly that there is a way for you to deal with the pain of your heart with the condemnation that you may feel in your heart. I'm a father. I have two daughters. I have eight grandchildren. I've lived long enough to have made a great, great many mistakes. It's very easy for me to ruminate on all of my mistakes, to allow the pain to overcome my heart. I've seen my failures. I've seen the price others have had to pay for my foolishness. It's very painful. And my heart would quickly condemn me if I did not have an avenue of escape. Now, it's not an avenue that just says, forget about it, I'm fine. It's not stoicism. It's not excusing my wickedness. But it's dealing very cleanly and clearly with where I stand before Almighty God because... The trouble all started when Adam and Eve took the step to divorce God. I just read a quote from Charles Schwab, an extremely wicked homosexual man, a devil, but internationally acclaimed and powerful and wealthy. He said, Jesus was the first fake news. No, Jesus is the only news that counts. It is in Jesus that we find forgiveness and release and the healing of the pain of our hearts. Verse 13, 1 John 3, verse 13. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We spoke yesterday about this, and if you've not listened, I urge you to go back and listen to yesterday's broadcast. It's very clear that there are two different groups of people. 
There are those who follow the way of darkness, and there are those who have chosen to follow the way of Jesus Christ. When you choose to follow the way of Jesus, the world will hate you. It will condemn you. Now, let's be very clear. Most of us will do anything we can possibly do to avoid conflict, confrontation. We want to get along. And it's right. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. I want to make peace. But there is no peace with the serpent. There is no peace with the devil. And there is no peace with the person who represents the devil. Who speaks the words of the dragon. Charles Schwab is one who speaks the word of the dragon. Bill Gates speaks the words of the dragon. I could go on and name person after person in our political realm, in our in our educational realm, in our court system. Many more in this world speak the words of the devil than of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so we are outnumbered in this world, but be very clear. Don't marvel, brother, and if the world hates you, It's a very good sign if the world hates you. If the world does not hate you, it's because you are one of them. And you have compromised. And you've not let people really know who you are in Jesus Christ. Or you are of darkness and have just put on a make-believe spray paint that says, I'm a follower of Jesus. But listen as he begins to speak about this. Verse 14, we know that we have passed over out of death into the life because we love the brethren. On the condition that one is not loving the brethren, he remains in death. Everyone hating his brother is a murderer, and you know that every murder has no eternal life remaining in himself. And this word is literally... The eternal life doesn't remain in him. In other words, he was a part of the fellowship. But hatred grew in his heart. This painful reality of being kicked out of paradise and all of our life struggling to somehow belong and somehow be a part. And we were never quite able to do it because we loved the things of darkness. And slowly that hate that grows in the heart eats away at the very entrails of a person. Until finally, there's no eternal life left in them and and they're simply on their way to hell. By this we've come to understand love because the one who laid down his life in our behalf and so we ought to lay down our lives in behalf of the brethren. He's talking about a reality here that we need to grasp. 
the pain that we feel in our hearts, the condemnation that we feel in our hearts will cause us to either grow bitter or turn to Jesus. I'm going to make a statement that some of you may disagree with and may find strange. All psychological pain, in my experience, comes out of a broken relationship with Jesus or a relationship that is not finished, sealing in the blood of Jesus. Emotional pain, in my experience, comes out of not having a home, not having a place, having to work very hard just to survive, a bitter, angry spirit, a jealous spirit, a troublesome spirit. And I want you to hear this now. Verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither with tongue, but in deed and truth. One person I know is always quick to say, I love you, I love you, I love you. And every time they say it, I say, quietly under my breath, I hear you, but I don't see it. I don't experience it, and I can't believe it. Your love is not real. Do I say that to them? No, because it would just start a fight. I don't need to fight with them. I don't need to judge their love, but in my heart, I feel unloved. I feel beat up by them. They know how to speak all of the right words. They know how to say everything with the right sound. But it doesn't fit the keyhole in my heart. Oh, and someone just went on the chat and said, it's Klaus, not Charles. That's right, it's Klaus Schwab. Thank you, Alan, for correcting me on that. Listen, my little children, let us not love in word or with tongue. It's really nice to hear a brother say, Pastor Ray, I really love you. And know that that statement of I love you is backed up with very real and concrete actions. To say I love you to your wife or your husband or your children or your family or to a friend and not have it backing up with actions. That increases the pain. By this we know that we are out of the truth. In fact, before him. Let me, let me read this carefully. He's saying, 
love not in word nor tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are out of the truth. The test for whether we're out of the truth is by we are, by our love that is in action. Now it goes on. And by this we know that we are out of the truth. In fact, before him we shall assure our hearts. Because if our hearts may condemn us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows all things. Beloved, if our heart may not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we may ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. Also, we keep on doing the things pleasing to his sight. And this is his commandment, that we may believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and we may love one another just as he gave this commandment. So, our hearts condemn us, and there's many reasons for our heart to condemn us. But if we have, Romans 6, been crucified with Jesus Christ, we have died to ourselves. we are now new creatures in Christ Jesus. God is greater than our emotion. And he's saying, look, your heart will not condemn you if you are in Jesus Christ and you are loving other people, I want you to notice something. It doesn't say if everybody is loving you. We've already heard that the world is going to hate us. That's a given. Now the question is, will we love those around us who are unlovable? How do I love the unlovely? How do I love that person who says, I love you, but the key doesn't work in my heart? I can call them a hypocrite. I can call them any name I choose, but my heart will condemn me. No, if I don't want my heart to condemn me, I'm going to have to come to that crucifixion. I'm going to have to give up myself and be found in Jesus Christ. And then in Jesus Christ, I begin to reach out and love other people. Now it's plain and clear. I don't need to prove anything to you. Your life proves it to you. We have all been judged, criticized, castigated. We've all made mistakes. We have all deserved condemnation. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm a work in progress. Are you? And as a work in progress, we are told that we do not need to live with a heart that condemns us. The way out of that heart condemning us 
is to come fully and surrender to Jesus Christ. And then to begin to reach out and love others. By this we know that he remains in us by means of the spirit whom he gave to us. So in other words, there is a place of rest and peace when we have given up ourselves to Jesus. And as we give ourselves up totally to Jesus, we hold nothing back. We're dead. He's alive. We now live in Jesus Christ by his strength and by his power. And then in that, we stop trying to prove anything. We stop contention. We stop jealousy. We stop judgments. All of that stuff is laid aside. You want to have panic attacks? Then on one side, know the pain and the anguish of being kicked out of paradise. And on the other side, make sure everybody knows that they're also out of paradise and they're just as bad as you are. And in your misery, you'll have immense pain. The answer is to believe on the name of Jesus Christ and begin to actively move in loving one another. Now, in chapter 4, he begins to get right to the nitty-gritty of this issue. Beloved, you must not believe every spirit but you must test the spirits to see if they are from God as to source. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit who acknowledges Jesus Christ as having come in the flesh is out of God. That's not intellectually assent to this proposition, but actually living it as a born-again Christian. Every spirit who does not acknowledge Jesus Christ as having come in the flesh is not out of God. In fact, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard that it was coming. Even now, he's already in the world. Let's talk about this for a minute. Nowhere does John tell us to test the prophets. It's test the spirit. There are some prophets today in the church that speak a very encouraging word. And it would be very easy to be entrapped by their words and say, yes, yes, I like this. I like that I'm going to be blessed. I like that I'm on my way to heaven. I like that we're all on the way, that we can be at peace with everyone. No. I have to test the Spirit. And I have to say, from what source 
are their words flowing? Are their words flowing out of the recognition that the world hates us? Does their word flow out of the certain knowledge that I must be crucified with Jesus Christ and that all of my sin must be removed from my heart, that I must walk holy and clean before Almighty God? Does the word they speak cause me to become enlivened because there's the possibility of prosperity? Do they have gold fever? Do they talk about silver and gold are God's money? And if you have it, you're going to be fine in the coming conflict? That source is not Jesus Christ. I'm going to be fine in the coming conflict whether I live or die. Whether I starve or whether I'm prospered. That's not the issue. The issue is, how do I stand with Jesus Christ? Does the Spirit of God dwell in me? Do the words that I speak flow out of the Scriptures? Or do they flow out of self-help prosperity? What I have physically will not protect me in the coming storm. Oh, should I have some extra food put aside? Yes. Should I have some planning done for my family? Yes, that's wise. But in the end, that's not going to save you. The only place of safety is going to be you hidden in Jesus Christ with a heart that does not condemn you but walking in confidence and faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ. That's where our safety lies. You are out of God, little children. Verse 4, and you have conquered them because greater is the one in you than the one in the world. These men are from among the world because of this because of this they speak out of the world as to source what's the source of what that preacher says is it out of think and grow rich napoleon hill Is it a Tony Robbins positive thinking? Is it humanistic in approach? Is it out of a false grace that says you can continue walking in your sin and you're saved anyway? Or does it flow out of a source of Jesus Christ and the blood he shed on Calvary and the forgiveness that he offers every man and every woman who comes? and humbles themselves before him and is crucified with him. Romans 6. He says, They speak out of the world as to source, and so the world is hearing from them. We are out of God. The one knowing God hears us. 
He who is not out of God does not hear us. Because of this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Every person you listen to, including Pastor Ray Greenley, you need to listen carefully and say, what is the source of what he teaches? Is it out of holiness? Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Is it out of dedication to Jesus? Is it out of being born from above, being transformed into a new creature, no longer walking in the painful reality of sin? is the source of his teaching, the word of God. If you listen to someone who is not flowing out of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you will find at some point, in spite of all of the pleasant words, that your heart will condemn you. Because either Jesus Christ forgives our sins and removes them from us, or our hearts will condemn us. The pain and the anguish of the human race is beyond anything I can imagine. The anguish and the pain that we human beings have caused nature that we have caused each other, that we have caused the unborn babies, the pain and the anguish and the guilt is so heavy upon us. And there's only one place to deal with that, to come to Jesus and put our total confidence and being crucified with him so that we're no longer living. He's living in us and with us and we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We enter into now the silence, the stillness of God. I'm so tired of, of all the noise. I'm tired of the casual, raucous chit-chat that goes on amongst us. I'm sickened by walking into a sanctuary where we've come to worship the Lord and everybody is stirring around and talking and laughing and shouting and, hey, how about dinner? Somewhere we've got to stop And we've got to come into the stillness of God. And we've got to deal with the reality that we were kicked out of paradise. And that now we have to struggle for our daily life. Until we come to that cross. And are crucified with Christ. And aren't. Our whole focus is now on Jesus. And out of that, the love we share with others.
Oh, you're not loving me the way I need to be loved. That's part of the pain of being kicked out of paradise. That pain is dealt with. That pain is dealt with at the cross. And now it's the overflowing stillness and peace of God that rules in our hearts. It's the absolute awareness of his love and the love then flowing out of our hearts to others. Not judgment, not bitterness, not disgust, an outflowing of real love in actions, in deeds, not in words. Not words. Actions. Not being self-righteous. Not being filled with my own wisdom. This morning, I was awake early, praying. And so somehow was just overwhelmed with a sense of failure. Somehow overwhelmed with a sense of I'm not getting it done. And I said, my heart is condemning me. And so I immediately took it to Jesus. And suddenly, great love and peace flooded into my soul. And I said, Jesus, thank you. And then my focus entirely shifted and changed. Okay, how do I love my neighbor? He's just gone through a very, very traumatic car accident. And then went through a very traumatic destruction of his home with a huge water leak. Everything is torn up. He's not a Christian. How do I love him? The Lord showed me exactly what to do. You see, when the love of Christ is in our hearts and the peace of God rules in our spirit, the devil can come with every accusation. But the accusation is not going to stick. And when we discover that there is condemnation in our hearts, it means quickly going back to the cross and reaffirming that I am crucified with Christ. And yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And then it's very quickly transitioning to, okay, how do I let my wife know that I love her? How do I let the people in my life know that I love them? How do I lay down my life for my brother? 
and my sister. And peace enters our hearts and joy our spirits. I hope this has been helpful to you today. We're out of time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm asking that every person listening today could enter deeply into your silence, into your peace, into your quietness. And in that place, we would experience your love and your compassion and your mercy and know beyond question that we are loved and that you have restored everything we have lost, that you are enough, Jesus, and to know that we can love other people and pour out our hearts for them and not not be jealous for love for ourselves. Thank you, Jesus. Would you bless each person listening today? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, we're out of time. Please write to me, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195. You're also welcome to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Attention, if three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.